0: Hey, this is Paul with realestateaudios.com, where we bring you the inside of what's working in real estate investing today from real-world investors in the trenches right now. And like many of you, I've been there, I've lost money and deals in real estate, frustrated as hell, all while still having a family with kids and a W-2 job to manage. So That's why I created this podcast, to help you find out what's actually working today and move you forward towards success. Alright, so here's a little background before I get into the interview. When I was going after single family leads, I was paying for, on average, about 50 leads a month. And I know that I had to manage all those leads coming in and I need to keep track of them. So I bought into the InvestorFuse software, which is a CRM for investors, if you didn't know that already. So this interview is sort of a quote tool review. Where we're gonna take a look at the software, but it's also the whole interview is also a reminder that we do get lazy with follow-up. So Carlos, the VP of InvestorFuse, who we're gonna interview today, we're gonna be going over some some deep, not just how to follow up with leads and tools and techniques, but also marketing systems, crucial mindset elements that make investors successful, like having an abundance mindset, good habits, and some of his time management techniques he uses on a day-to-day basis that I think is really helpful for the part-time investor who's got his whole day booked with family, W-2 job, and his side hustle. So I know how it is when your whole day is just filled with all these little minute tasks, but you still have a side hustle to run. So listen carefully as we go over why investors lose deals or aren't getting deals and hacks you can do today as a part-time investor. And of course, before we get started, make sure you head on over to realestateaudios.com and get the resources mentioned in this interview, along with some free material and my free daily newsletter. All right, let's get to the interview.
1: I'm um, Full-time Investor Fuse, have been for between three and a half, four years. Prior to that, was wholesaling. So that was my first and only job out of college, was wholesaling in Baltimore, which I'm still here in Baltimore City right now, I'm right on the water in Baltimore City. But yeah, I was wholesaling with Dan Schwartz, the CEO of Investor Fuse and he always just really had a knack for building out our CRM to make it better and better for him to operate while he was on a van rock and roll group tour playing 180 shows a year and i was like his boots on the ground with another guy so i was pretty much like lead manager acquisitions manager for dan who was touring the country you know most of the year he'd come to baltimore every couple months and we'd meet up in person but he always had a knack for just building out stuff which turned into investor views so there's a period there where I was still managing his leads, where we were pretty much 100% online lead generation from a carrot site, and had AdWords nerds Dan Barrett had our account, definitely getting good deals from there. So I was pretty much just managing for like a month or two. I was just there managing leads from his whole sale operation while he had already done real automation on the side and then launched InvestorFuse. So about a month after InvestorFuse launched, he asked me, he's like, hey. I know you're still managing leads for the wholesale business, but would you be interested in, in kind of splitting half your time, just getting on zoom calls, almost like we're on right now and just showing companies how to use Podio as a CRM and talk wholesaling and, and kind of just be there to be kind of like an advisor, which from a high level talking about doing stuff you love versus hating. I've like loved doing more. So the day to day for investor view stuff, because I'm almost like an advisor slash consultant with other entrepreneurs instead of like negotiating sellers and buyers, you know, and now if I would start doing it again after three and a half years of experience, like top people in the country, I'd have a different approach to it. But prior to then it was kind of like I would work with sellers and try to negotiate them down to low as possible. And that daily I was good enough at it where we had a successful business. But I think just like my personality in the long run, it's like, this is the type of stuff that gives me energy versus like negotiating. So wholesale for like two and a half, three years. And then I've been with investor fuse, It'll be like four years in March-April range, so between three and a half and four years and doing that full-time. Is the wholesaling operation still active today? It is not. It has been shut down for quite a while. or hasn't been going on for a while. Dan did have a partnership in place where we had set up pretty much a, a Baltimore wholesaler where Dan would pretty much just pay for the marketing and the back-end systems, namely investor InvestorFuse. And they would split the deals. But as far as our own operation has not been up and running for quite some time, I'd like to say I work a lot. Dan is literally seven days, almost all the time working on InvestorFuse. So we kind of went all in on that. We did have a sister program too, just that same principle as far as like focusing on one thing. We did have a sister company or another company that we had launched, SendFuse, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. It was similar to Deal Machine or it is similar to Deal Machine where you could be outside of a property. And then just text that address of the subject property, almost like a text bot service that we had or automation that we had. And you could start a one-off eight-piece direct mail campaign from right outside the property, take a picture of the property, put it on the postcard. So we ended up selling that six months ago, maybe, to more so go all in on Investor Fuse too. So kind of same principle there as far as just focusing on one thing and going all in on that. So
0: Yeah. Now, you said you were closing deals, negotiating deals back then. Was this all over the phone or you were actually going person to person?
1: No, mostly person to person. So I would be going to properties, negotiating with sellers, meeting with sellers, which I definitely enjoy. Just si- same thing today, how, probably how me and you are similar to a certain extent, just seeing how people are wired, what their pain points are, trying to solve those. So I would mostly be on the road going to properties. Sometimes you could lock something up over the phone, but for the most part, actually going to appointments and making offers. Okay. And you're pretty good at that? I would say I was relatively good at that. Good enough to be successful. Definitely a people person. Definitely, definitely extroverted. Enjoy talking to people. So I like that. Yeah. So I would just roll around. I had printed off same contracts that are in investor you today, actually a two page contract about the, the most basic real estate sales contract you could have that has that assignment clause in there. So I actually had a folder. I would just roll around with those, put in the purchase price address and the seller's name on those, get those signed, Okay, and
0: you guys didn't have all the neat bells and whistles that InvestorFuse has with all the integrations and and text messaging, email platforms you guys integrate. Did you operate with all that back in the day, or what was your system like?
1: No, that was being built out as we went. So kind of like the uh, biggest luxury we had in our system was being, being able to send out offers. So if I did want to follow up with someone and send an offer out, I could do that. That was nice. But yeah, we did not have all the bells and whistles. That was towards the end, closer towards the end. Of my wholesaling experience where Dan was made the real automation with Joe McCall, which is kind of how he got on the wholesaling scene nationally and then into Investor Fuse. So when I first got onto Investor Fuse, I had to like learn that whole system with all these bells and whistles. It was it was easy. It was kind of like a a college quarterback that was in a pro style offense that went to the NFL and started running a pro style offense. Just had to learn a few more bells and whistles and, and see how it works. Then I was good explaining it to people and showing people how to use it in their business.
0: So back in the day, I want to talk a little bit more about that system when you started because a lot of people are smaller time investors too. So can IF contribute or help with somebody who does a smaller amount of volume?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I could probably even take a step back and just talk about like InvestorFuse as a whole, what it does and and how it could be helpful and kind of just like having a CRM in place in general. So I think InvestorFuse, and this is probably most of your audience, Paul, I think InvestorFuse is best fit for investors that are doing direct-to-seller marketing. Of course, whatever tools you're using, you want to have you know, the, the revenue or at least a capital, a certain amount of burn rate where you can't afford all those tools, Carrot, um, InvestorFuse, CallRail, whatever stuff that you're using. But InvestorFuse's process really starts once a lead is captured. And for the purpose of when I talk to people uh, on InvestorFuse and in this interview, specifically the context we like to put real estate in a couple different buckets or real estate, you know, wholesaling, whatever operation you're doing in different buckets. So that first bucket is really lead generation and marketing. That's where you're targeting people or setting yourself up to be a target for people to find you of where you can monetize, you know, someone from selling their property, add value them selling the property. So that's the first bucket, lead generation marketing. That would be your carrot, call rail, uh, mojo dialer, call tools, text blasting like Sherpa, any deal machine, anything and everything like that would be lead generation marketing. So that's cold traffic prospects. You don't know if you can do business with them, you can monetize them, you can buy their property from them. So that's that first bucket, lead generation marketing. That second bucket is where InvestorFuse starts and we're laser focused on. That's on lead management. And it starts with capturing those leads. So InvestorFuse is really like a seller lead hub for your business. And we're gonna connect with all of those different lead input tools that you're using. If you want to reach out and see if anything or if any of your followers want to reach out, they can reach out to me directly, call us at InvestorFuse.com to see if we can uh, do a direct integration with the tools. But even if it is a smaller investor or someone that's just starting out, we typically don't recommend InvestorFuse if you have not closed a real estate deal yet, just to make sure that you have enough confidence and enough experience in negotiating to make sure that you can actually buy and sell real estate or contracts for real estate. But really, once you can afford to add that to your recurring monthly costs, it could definitely make sense, especially if you have multiple lead inputs. Like if you have a carrot site and a call rail site, which I hope most of of you guys do just in case someone calls you off your website and you want to track where it came from, it definitely could because it's a little bit of like lead insurance slash just a cloud-based system where you and your team, as you're growing that out, can see all your incoming leads everything like that. So that's, that's really what investor fuses focus on capturing the leads. And one thing, Paul, that we can dive into as well is most of you guys probably know sales in general. Almost every sale that you have is after the first touch. So for the most part, someone isn't going to fill out a web form on your carrot site that just says they're asking price, you call them and you get the deal right there. Probably more so for carrot or online traffic, of course, than, than doing cold calling, text blasting, stuff like that, cold, cold prospecting. But InvestorFuse really helps you stay organized as well with your manual follow-up calls and texts that you need to do, as well as follow-up sequences. So one of the bells and whistles, Paul, that I love about InvestorFuse, that's, that's arguably the most helpful and powerful tool, are the follow-up sequence drip campaigns. And one example I always use is I bought an Acura a couple years ago, and I was looking at different dealerships, and I still get sales drip emails from two or three years ago, where, of course, I just erase them right now, but if I was still in the market looking for a car, I'd probably pay them some attention, maybe re- reach out to the sales rep, see what kind of deal they could do you know, for the end of the year. And that's the same power that investors can use with follow-up sequences to leverage their time so that they're not manually following up with every single lead, especially the colder ones. They can just press a couple buttons, have them on text, email, ringless voicemail, drip campaigns for two-plus years if they want, and then they can get a nice tap on the shoulder inside the system. Whenever that seller responds, they're just campaign.
0: I remember that was a great part about it. At the time, this was probably, I don't know, maybe two, three years ago since I used it, maybe two years ago since I used it. That was an awesome system to push the buttons. Hey, I have this thousand leads here. I'm going to send them a blast email all at once. I'm going to send them a blast text. I'm going to send them a slide broadcast all at once. That was a really cool feature. Absolutely. So follow-up, do you have a a statistic? You know, I've heard 80% of the sales come from follow-up. Do you have anything to add on to that?
1: I would echo that similar number around eighty percent. The one that we did from we were we were presenting investor views somewhere about a year ago, and we went off some Harvard sales business study that said it was I think I think it might have even been closer to ninety percent of all sales are done in some type of follow up where it's not the first touch. So super important, and I think almost like framework or the mindset too of seeing how important every single lead is. You know, leads are leads can be expensive. Um, so kind of having the mindset of each lead is super important. And at least being able to follow up with them in an organized manner. And of course, like the colder ones or the ones that aren't ready to sell for a longer time, you can put those on automated touches if you have a a system like that. But yeah, follow-up super important, man. One thing that I've talked about on our show, too, is just like any interaction that you have with somebody today, like even me and you just talking, I want that to be the most memorable conversation or most memorable interaction that that person had that day. So I kind of like that. I liked having that mindset. That's kind of how I've been throughout my whole life. But I liked having that, you know, specifically to this business with sellers that you're talking to, whether it's just being really positive and cheerful, knowing something about their house or the area that they're in where you can add value and knowledge in the market, whether you try to go above and beyond and seeing how you can solve their problem. That's another thing of just like how you're following up or like a mindset to have when you're following up with those leads that, like I said, they can be expensive. Of course, you know. That was one of my
0: questions too. Some people are afraid that all this automation might take away the human element. So how do you incorporate that into an automated follow-up system where it sends out automatic slide broadcasts or automatic texts and so forth?
1: It totally can. And that's why Like in an ideal world, you would have the time to call every single lead that you're following up with, write them out a personal handwritten note, and you know send them a box of cookies, right? But, you know, you have to see how much time it takes to follow the leads, all that stuff, and everybody's different. So how do you get away from that or how do you not risk that when you're doing the automations? One thing I like to talk about, I know you're you're a big online guy, and this is something I wanted to bring up, too, especially for, for Carrot members. I know, and I keep saying Carrot, I guess, because most of our members use Carrot, and I'm most familiar with those guys. But one thing that you can do and is super important in follow-up sequences, especially if you are doing some automated follow-up to your sellers – is establishing credibility. So some things that I see that are really cool where it kind of like humanizes you and also just makes you seem more credible, of course, is having different things on your site. I've seen people have eBooks on like foreclosure or whatever is going on kind of in their market. They could have eBooks, how our process works, which which is pretty much like a page going through the entire transaction, what it looks like. You could show your team, like the people you are be working with. And putting those in all the emails. So they, they're not going to click it every time, of course, but if they are interested and they see that you have an ebook on selling houses that are in foreclosure in Baltimore County, for example, that's going to help establish authority in your market and also just some some credibility.
0: Yeah. What's, in your opinion, and what you guys have seen, some of the follow-up methods, is there one that works better, more effectively than others? For instance, call or text versus email.
1: Yeah, I mean, text is is ninety nine, one hundred percent open rate. That's also going to be the highest response rate. Maybe ringless voicemail as well. Um, I think on like cold blasting, it's it's slightly under ten percent response rate. Probably a little bit higher on that when you're re engaging them in a follow up sequence, like somebody that's opted into your marketing slash messaging or you've spoken with before. So I'd say those are. Anything besides email is going to be your highest response rate back to you. But email is still important, I think, to kind of have similar to like marketing. If we're talking marketing, it's a nice ancillary piece to have to your follow ups, because that is the easiest way to constantly be hitting them with the credibility type stuff. Or if you email them an offer, you can follow up and be on that same thread. So it's a nice ancillary piece. But, yeah, obviously calling, texting, ringless voicemail is going to get you the highest response rate as far as people reaching back out to you or answering their phone.
0: Hey, real quick, I want to introduce you to my free daily newsletter where I give out free daily tips to real estate investing strategies, marketing, and sales techniques to keep you, the part time investor, moving forward every day. So head on over to realestataudios.com and you'll get a free report along with that free daily newsletter. I've been working with a guy who's getting into the probate niche, and the ringless voicemail has been working great for him phenomenally. So there was a certain number, too. Uh, I don't remember what it was. Maybe you can touch base on it. There was a certain uh, number that always worked for me, which was uh, so many slide broadcasts I would send out to be a percentage of people who would actually call back. Do you know about that statistic?
1: What I've heard is, is t- around 10% response rate. So you're sending, if you were to send out like a list of 1,000, you would have like 100 callbacks.
0: Yeah, I think that's about right. It's really phenomenal how those numbers really work every single time. So it's just it's a numbers game, right? Mm-hmm onto the email thing you know email works great in the land business i don't know how many investor fuse people you work with uh who use investor fuse for land i know gary uses if for land mm-hmm. there's a few programs out there that I, I mean i used LandSpeed uh for for my automation in in land and that was the big emphasis on land speed was you sending out sending out mailers automatically for you
1: Mm-hmm. and with the land business, yeah, gary's a guy we have a we have a couple guys that are land guys gary he's been on our our podcast before he's a great guy but yeah, when he was explaining the process i did, that is an interesting process land where it seems like to start off you're almost mailing out a physical offer to the landowner and he made it seem like more of the follow-up is on the buyers like when you're actually trying to sell you know sell a piece of land off so that is that is interesting how they're similar but also different in a way
0: yeah, it swapped the emphasis on, on the business. Land is, the acquisitions part is very simple. You can com- you can completely automate that. It was literally, okay, I pick an area, and, and pick an area is important too. You got to pick an area where you know has buyers for. Pick an area, and I would pull a, a list of maybe 500 vacant landowners, um, and then I I would send... 500 offers, in the, and I would come up with, with with an offer probably 25 cents on the dollar. Send that out. There was no negotiation. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't work with anybody who wanted to negotiate over the phone. I mean, if they wanted to add 200, hundred dollars to to the offer, fine. But um, if they wanted to negotiate or complain, I wouldn't even bother with them because I would get literally. I'd walk to my mailbox and I would have a contract signed. Okay, this guy's ready to go. I would get an email. <laughs> this guy's ready to go, or a voicemail. Hey, I'm I'm ready to sell it at your offer. So if somebody is kind of new, he's done a couple of deals here and there, and he's done deals because he just showed up at the right time at the right place, he's not very good at follow-up. So what's one thing that a person can, uh, one follow-up task that a person can easily incorporate and start outsourcing that follow-up task?
1: I think first, I mean, w- one thing we could talk about as far as like follow-up sequences are something you can definitely outsource, or at least like the, the initial follow-up calls. Because I mean... Following up in general for that question, if it's someone that's done a couple deals and you said they may have just been right place, right time, market's going well, a lot of people in general are doing well right now or have been doing well because of the market, um, I would almost say that he should be doing more follow-up. Like He should be doing more of the follow-up himself. It's sexy, it's attractive to talk about delegation and and having stuff go off, which is definitely needed at times. Um, But if it is someone that's more so starting off, has only done a couple deals they should definitely be doing all the follow-ups, at least with the the hotter and warmer motivated leads. Stuff that you can outsource, though, would be some of the colder leads. And a lot of that is what we have in, in investor views with the sequences. And I'd be curious to hear your, your opinion a little bit on this for the drip campaigns, because now I'm interested about how you go off the news and send it out to your buyers. So I think sequences kind of taking that combo to that, are really in in two different areas that you could think about so they could be specific to each seller's situation so that could be like what type of lead they are, why they're selling the property things like that and then different points in the life cycle so that could be anywhere from the lead originally gets captured off a carrot site and you just can't get a hold of them. so you're just like you have like what we have one it's called a can't reach and by the way, for your audience i'll I'll send you over the the four templated sequences that we have that are all really, really awesome. They're general because it's for, you know, all of our companies that we plug into a space. But any of your listeners, I can send you over that if you want to share, um, which would be perfect for someone, you know, to answer your question here. But that would be perfect for someone that's that's um, doing a couple of deals, just starting off and needs some follow up help. But also the point in the life cycle. So a couple things I'd like to hear, like to pick your brain on this, because you're really better at, you know, content info type stuff than I am. But different points in life cycle in the seller situation. So a few unique ones, just thinking here, would be like post-offer. So a lot of the times you're going to be following up with that offer manually, of course, especially the you know a guy that's more so just starting off. And you should be following up with your offers manually if you're not locking them up right there. But if it's something that's gone cold, maybe he has multiple offers, In addition, the seller has multiple offers in addition to following up with them manually. And a lot of these sequences are in addition to following up. You know, with manual phone calls, scheduling out a phone call a week in advance, two weeks, a month, you know, whenever the seller asks for. Um, so you could have sequences along the lines of, you know, great speaking with you. I know we sent an offer and you're still thinking it over. Things like that. Um, Post appointment, anytime that you go to their property, putting them on a sequence right away that thanks them for having them out at your at their property. Hey, hey, thanks for having our acquisitions manager. Or thanks for having me out at your property. I'm going to crunch some numbers and get you an offer. Um, If you want to look at anything in the meantime, here's a market report on, you know, Philadelphia real estate the last quarter, something like that, Um, depending on the shop. And I mean, this, this gets into exit strategy for everything you're doing. So I know a lot of folks do start off just kind of a, a one trick pony or one exit strategy or one value that they can add to a seller just with like a cash offer with a faster close than typical. But then you can start getting into sequences for all the different type of exit strategies, namely. Um, if you have someone that's a realtor or a broker on your team where you can list the property for any of those real retail leads so you can still monetize more of those leads following up if the property has sold so that's like if someone says you know we're, we're weighing multiple offers whether it's from wholesalers or whatever you can follow up there and and similarly paul actually now that i'm thinking about how you explained it with how you target your list with news i like to think about just like other industries like i mentioned with the car dealership like What's a way that you can just stay on top of people, you know, relatively stay on top of people without without annoying them too much, like a monthly rhythm probably, and just be a reminder of what type of value you can add for them at the right, at the time that it's right for them. So following up to see if a property sold. Um, one thing too, which I'm curious your opinion on is getting testimonials. That's what we try to get investor-fuse members to put people on sequences. So after they buy a property from a seller, putting them on a sequence, just asking for a testimonial. Hey, I know that we did business together. If you enjoyed it, would you mind you know, shooting a quick video testimony or would you mind meeting me to shoot a quick two minute video testimony on how your, your um, experience was working with us? And of course, then that stuff that you could repurpose and put not only on your site, but in sequences as well. Hey, this is what folk, hey, I know that we sent an offer and you mentioned that There's a few other people, and now I'm speaking, this is manual follow-up or sequences, if you'd like. Um, But, hey, I know that you're talking to a couple other investors, um, and I know we're right in the ballpark where you're looking to sell. I wanted to send over some video testimonials just so you can see the experience that people have had working with us in the past.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the follow-up, so this takes away your your need to always be on top of it because, like, if if I were to just do a follow-up system on my own, where meaning like, okay, here's my calendar, here's my manual calendar, I'm gonna write all this down. I'm gonna every Monday, every Tuesday, I'm gonna do this, this, and that. Now, for me, I don't know about anybody else. It's hard for me to keep consistent with something I I'm trying to implement myself. While while if I input that into a, a, an actual tool, actual software that does it for me? If I have a lead that comes in, I input that lead into the software, and that does it on its own. If if I were to do it on my own, I would I would forget about that lead. I would just say, you know what, I'm not going to follow up today. And mm-hmm. that happened to me all the time. You know, I'm not going to call them back today. I don't feel like it. You know, oh, yeah. so uh, yeah. I mean, is that something that you experience too as a wholesaler? Or
1: yeah, I think I think everybody does. I think that's just and that's the same Harvard article was talk about that because there's like mental exhaustion. And even like that conversation that you have in your head of what you just said, where it's like, oh, I'll follow them another time or, oh, they're not that motivated. I'll just, you know, I'll push the call back. It's like a men- it's mentally exhausting to follow up with leads. It really is. So it does help it. Do you have any
0: stories of, of uh, missing deals because of not following up?
1: We missed more than I would be <laughs> embarrassed to say. Uh, but I mean, I think that's everybody is that you You definitely miss out on deals. Definitely no, son, uh, probably the one I'm most proud of was following up literally two and a half years that um, our other partner, Mike, it's still here in Baltimore and crushing. He mostly does traditional fix and flips, but he actually closed on this property. But this was one and this is about as humanized as it gets. Um, it was like a uh, in Baltimore here on Jefferson Street. Uh, close to Johns Hopkins Hospital, for anybody that knows Baltimore or is in this area. But pretty much followed up with the seller. They were, they were on drugs for two and a half years, followed up with these people. Almost a complete shell of a property, but it was just something that we kept following up on. Probably had 15 numbers between this seller and her sister. But the thing, the biggest lever was I just drove by there and put a handwritten note on the front door. And then we ended up closing on it. Mike ended up closing on about six months later, but that helped re-engage the conversation after it went dark. But yeah, man, your question. I mean, that, and that was part of the really, and Dan has talked about that. That's That was kind of like the fuel or like how we started mind mapping out investor views. Like how could we stop this from happening where we make an offer, we follow up a couple of times and then we see it sold or it's like listed with a realtor um, for a price that's not significantly higher than what we were offering. We're like, man, like how could we stop this from happening? Because every team is set up different. I mean, there's there's different team team structures you can have, but if you're doing if you're doing follow up calls like off of a CRM or pen and paper from your home office like I'm at here, you're also going out in the field. Um, you're taking in live calls like off of a website or call rail numbers. It's super easy for stuff to slip through cra- cracks. On top of just the mental exhaustion that we're talking about of following up with leads, hearing no's, spending you know a lot of time on the phone with something that you're not going to monetize right then and there, and that goes more to like a principle of being able to have delayed gratification. Like And having the mindset like, hey, it, it is a numbers game, like almost exactly what you said earlier. Like, hey, I'm going to have to talk to 25 leads that call in off of, P- off of my direct mail campaign before I'm able to, to monetize everything. So it's a lot, man. But having those frameworks is huge that we've been just talking about on this call. Like I said, like treating every lead super, super important and trying to make the interaction that you have with that lead their most special interaction they have with anybody that they talk to the entire day. So having that mindset that every lead could be a potential goldmine or moneymaker for you. And then just having the framework of, of trying not to be mentally exhausted by following up with leads, by having kind of like that delayed gratification mindset. So let's do more of foundational type, just uh, frameworks for your, for your mind to work out of. Okay.
0: And can somebody who uh, does get deals from realtors and maybe makes offers on the MLS as well, can this be somehow
1: incorporated into IF? Yeah, not the, um, I mean, I, I guess they could like what I, I was having this conversation with somebody earlier this week, actually, Paul. So like the functionality is there as far as like managing that deal or that potential, you know, lead deal property, whatever inside investor views, you would just put the subject property as the property address. And then you would have the realtor as the seller's name. So you could totally do on that, do that from a functionality standpoint, just to follow up with your offer. I don't think that we would have an automated way to, to capture that unless there was like an email body, that the realtor or somebody sent um, our way, but you could absolutely just enter it in manually, mark what you made the offer for, and then just follow up on that that offer. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you could pretty much automate any, I
0: mean, even like how you mentioned how you put a, a note on the door. Um, Even if you had that as your kind of special flair you did for your, in your system, that can be added as well as more, more so as like a schedule. Hey, this, I'm going to send this note out every so often and that can be incorporated into if as well right
1: yeah yeah custom action absolutely and uh that's what some people are starting i mean they've they've been doing it but that's something that you could put in is like just type out as a custom action just door knocking and a lot of people do that for like lead generation but this was just me just following up i knew that these people were living in the house and we just had like 15 numbers and they weren't answering just they were just going through like um like t-mobile burner type phones so I just went down and wrote, it. but absolutely, yeah, you can make that a task for somebody just when they're going on an appointment to stop by, you know, X properties and just put a handwritten note on their, on their door.
0: The follow-up is, is so important, dude, because I, I'm just thinking back when I started, I, I didn't really have a, a follow-up system. And I think, especially a lot of new people, um, you don't have to have IF when you're starting when you're brand new and you're looking for a deal, but you can at least put a couple of follow-up systems into place. Because I, I was looking like everybody who starts, I was looking for the, the first-time, one-time close over the phone. You know, you know I was door-knocking too and looking for the one door-knock where I'm going to make a sale. I mean you hear about follow-up all the time. Oh, yeah, follow-up important. It's, it's super important, but you never really implement it at the end of the day because you don't yep. really
1: have anything in place. Yep, a hundred percent. that's kind of what I think of like CRMs in general. Like you you could do this business. In theory, you could do this business pen and paper as far as having leads call in, come in through your site, uh manage them on pen and paper, write out on a calendar when you're gonna call them, follow up, all that stuff. But what a CRM or just just systems in place for your follow-up, lead capture, all good stuff like that, it's gonna give you a way higher chance of success in staying organized with your follow-up. And then when you have a tool that helps you automate actual follow-up touches, it's almost like you're creating another organic marketing channel. As you get into the habit of putting these leads onto drip campaigns, they're going to start answering. So it might be two, three months down the line, you're going to start getting just re-engaged conversations with sellers that you wouldn't have if you're using pen and paper or more of like a basic type tool to use. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. Have you seen different follow-up sequences or different ways in which IF has worked in, in different markets or pretty much across the board it works the same?
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in, that's a good question. In general, it's going to work the same as far as something that's going to be able to help you just get more touches out to sellers. But markets, I mean, it's it's different with markets because, and this is something like, I lo- love Adrian's one of my best friends in the in the real estate game. He talks about, and you guys go into this, which I love the psychology part of it, is making your wording a little bit different. And this is something in our new platform that we're launching where we can track open rates, response rates, stuff to different sequences. So I can actually give you data, hopefully in about six months from now, I could come back on and I can actually give you data for different sequences and A, B and all the different testing and stuff. But I would say something is simple, and this is just enhancement that you can do to the sequences. So the foundations of just getting in the habit of sequences, responding back to sellers across the board, any market poll is gonna be helpful.
0: To get more free exclusive interviews, transcripts, resources mentioned in this interview, head on over to realestateaudios.com.
1: Some things that I would say are are similar to the carrot and combos I've had with Adrian are kind of making like, he's talked about where if it's a market, if it's a higher end market, probably like where you're at, where the real estate, you know, is above a median for the country, like a, a more expensive market, you might want to have your wording, and your are the talk that you have in your messages, more professional, higher level education, dealing with a more savvy seller. And it all comes back to something that Adrian says too like, know your seller, know who you're going after, and then target all your messaging around that. If it's more of like a West Virginia or somewhere where it may be like a lower market type place, you may want to have a more basic or elementary language in your messaging. I would say things like that to answer just from a general, like a general perspective across the board. Okay, interesting. So to add to that
0: then, um, I don't know too many investors out here in Southern California that actually use IF in a high volume. And it could just be because I don't know them. Maybe there's a ton of – maybe you know uh, out here in Southern California if there's if you have a lot of clients that are crushing it with a high volume system, good follow-up sequence out here in Southern California. Do you?
1: I know a couple – uh, one guy that's just signing up with a Stephen Avenim, is more of a multifamily guy. And he's just in the beginning of the process of starting up. Yeah, we have we definitely have some some California guys out there. San Diego, Mike Borger is a longtime investor fuse guy, Carrot guy as well. So yeah, we definitely have some. And one thing, Paul, I think is interesting for folks just to kind of hear as well. I think that's kind of t- like two general paths you can go down when you are marketing or, or having your messages go to sellers. Is you can be kind of the small mom pa type shop, which is definitely appealing to certain sellers, like you said. Um, Where it's like, hey, you know, I I flip houses in my spare time, whatever. Um, But then you can also kind of go down. I'd be curious to hear your opinion on these two paths. The small mom, pa, which we just outlined versus more of like a 1-800, like a really corporate professional type home buying company where it's like 1-800, you know, house buyers or whatever. And you have branded logos and you show up with a, you know, a polo that has that logo on there, everything like that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it, it really is just depends on what you want to do in life. It, and if uh, that takes a little more skill, having the, uh, a big business that you're going to have to manage people, that takes a lot more of a skill set than being the small time. Yeah, I'm going to be the, the guy that does tw- 12 deals a year, which is still a lot, but you have no life if you right. do all that by yourself. Right. Out here, at least. And 12 deals a year is, is enough out here to be very well off. But I guess it depends what kind of job you want. And if you're looking for a lifestyle business, if you're looking for a, a job, um, if that's the kind of business you want to do, you want to run, if you want to manage that. So, And you've seen this business from beginning to end. How long did it take? This is, and, and I'm getting into this question more on so of, of uh, business building. How long did it take to actually have a, this business up and running and have some traction in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, man, that's a good question. So I joined... February of this, So this February will be four years that we've been around, which is crazy. When I joined about a month after Dan and John are the, co- are the co-founders, I joined about a month after that. I want to say that we had a good bit of customers just off the strategy that they did, I think, which was like a webinar sale. Already had a good amount of people in our pipeline from Dan having the real automation set up with Joe. Um, so I want to say when I joined, we maybe had 50, 75 companies already and had a, had a decent brand recognition out there, at least were, was the beginning stage of that when I joined. But it's been a wild ride, man. Your question about how far did it take traction? I think we kind of started out of the gate with some traction, and it's definitely been an interesting path of, uh, of growth here since then. But yeah, man, it's crazy because a lot of it is just o- organic too. Like a lot of this business is just word of mouth where investors will be at a meetup or they go to an event. They talk to people in Facebook groups and they're like, hey, what are you using for this type of tool? So just being able to provide people with a good experience and they're getting the value more than what they expected in value as far as from the product has been a huge lever in, in helping us grow, like we have.
0: Yeah. So things haven't always been sunshine over there at VesterFuse, right? Definitely not. Yeah. My experience as well with business building. I mean, it takes there's a lot of frustration. It may seem like outside it looks like you guys are a multi million dollar company. But can you guys go into any any struggles you deal with that, how long it took for you guys to actually see some light at the end of the tunnel?
1: Yeah, man. And I and I think it was, I honestly think the beginning ride of Investor views was a lot of, you know, rainbows and, and sunshines and stuff like that. I think really the struggle to your question is when we decided to make the move to launch onto our own platform, the 2.0, which is less than a year ago. And we pretty much rolled it out as a beta product. Probably didn't do the best job with PR, which we take responsibility for is, is saying, you know, making sure that people realize it was a beta, it wasn't a finished product that we were still working on and have a big update coming out. But that was more of like a PR type situation that we had dealt with, still dealing with and starting to see light at the end of the tunnel with this new product that we're about to launch or new update to 2.0 that we're about to launch. But I mean, we definitely had some some customer turnover from there folks that weren't happy because we didn't have aligned expectations with them. So there was this, this big period of of sunshine, butterflies, rainbows, everything going good. And then at the beginning of the year, that really turned around where we had to let go of staff, or we let go of staff, unfortunately, you know, we're learning of being like an actual legit startup software company where we have developers in-house, that, which comes with a lot of costs, stuff like that. So we've been learning some some very valuable lessons. I don't know how I would, how I would put it into words. The different stuff, but it's it's a lot of lessons of just growing a like a legit software company that's ready to scale to be you know a big thing. But it was interesting, man. It's it's humbling too, and that's the same thing I preach. Like I try not to take any member that we've had for granted, anything like that. Trying to bring as much value as possible to myself and and for anybody listening, it really all starts with you. Like that's why I put all the chips in on personal development and working on myself because at the end of the day, I know that's the most foundational thing I can do to bring as much value to people individually, to groups, like talking to people like this or on our podcast, whatever. That's really what I, I go all in on. But yeah, man, a lot of a lot, lot of learning lessons, but starting to see light out of the tu- end of the tunnel, which is awesome.
0: Awesome, dude. And, and I agree with you that working on your personal development, that's the only thing you can really control in life, right? You can't control people say yes or no to you. You just can control what you do, how you look and your, your growth in life. So Being that uh, you guys started off well with IF, maybe uh, this is just my guess. Is that because IF was kind of a a new idea into the real estate investing space?
1: It totally was, man. And that's what I kind of talk about, too, is we were the first company to take like a pre-built solution specific for real estate investors going direct to seller and put it on top of Podio and then package that as a SaaS product, a software as a service product where you pretty much are on a subscription for either monthly or annual, and you get support, training, you know, continuous updates on the platform, everything like that. So we were the first company to do that, and why? And we still think that's why there's still you know so much Podio hype in the space now, even though it's starting to downtrend um, away from that. But yeah, absolutely, we were the first company to do that, and that's why I said it was kind of like George Bannister, Roger Bannister. I can't remember his name, uh, the guy that ran the four minute mile. Like he was the first person to ever do it, and then the following year, people started doing it just out of belief. So that was like same similar thing that happened with us after we launched on Podio. I think the next year people started seeing that and people started coming out with their own platforms on Podio as well. Yeah. So is that affecting you guys in a negative way? Other people coming out on Podio? Yeah. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I'm, I'm very much abundant mindset. I think there's, there's enough market space for everybody. That's a provider out there. But I mean, now it's even kind of like that same experience where we announced we were launching off Podio. And now some of those companies are launching off Podio or like making their own platform off Podio as well. So I don't really think it it affects us, and we probably don't affect the other companies either. Okay, being a business owner, being a VP, you're a VP of
0: customer service, right, for IF? Yeah, around customer success, customer engagement. How's your time like? I mean, do you work maybe four to five hours? Do you actually work eight hours a day? But you get the freedom to take vacation whenever you want to go wherever you want.
1: I literally map out all my quote unquote work time. And all my personal time. So the 168 hours in a week, I try to map out and I'm due again to do it now going into 2020. But I map out the 168 hours in a week, how much of that is personal, including like sleep, gym, all that stuff, and how much is actually work. So during a typical day, I will be at the computer doing some type of work, typically nine to five range. Sometimes if I duck out more, but it's the same thing, trying to knock out most of the important stuff. But I definitely do have pre-scheduled meetings. Mostly they're sales calls of people that are signing up for investor views or some type of interview or internal team meetings. Those are like the three things that I'm in most of the day. But yeah, to answer your question, nine to five. Saturday, I'll do more like high-level planning. Definitely put an emphasis on anything personal I do, meditation, deep thinking type stuff because I find out even if you're pressed for time, the more of that you get in personal high level type thinking, just disconnected thinking, the easier and more efficiently you work, you know, with that hour or 30 minutes that you use towards that. Monday through Friday, nine to five, Saturday, Sunday, more so, or like my planning days, maybe finishing some stuff up. Yeah, work from home, pick and vacation can work from wherever I'll be in Los Angeles at a non real estate mastermind leaving next weekend. So I'll be, you know, out of office, not working as much when I'm there and then off a few days for mastermind.
0: So interesting. So you, you've you been doing that for a while, mapping out all the time that you allocate to different tasks?
1: Yeah, I started doing that probably not this past summer, but the summer before that. How's that helped? In a general range, I almost relate it more so to my personal life. So I would start seeing just where the time it would be. And I, I track like my nutrition very closely, like all my macronutrients and calories and stuff. Just so I always wanted to be like in really good shape, six-pack, that type of stuff. So the main two levers that have helped me the last year, I actually used to cut hair like for my soccer team, like I would cut people's hair and cut my own hair. So I actually found that whole process for cutting my own hair. And these are small personal examples. I'll talk business ones, but small personal examples that have helped me just, just buy back time are getting my hair cut where I pay 25 bucks. It takes me 30 minutes. I text with the barber versus two hours and the mental exhaustion of like setting up my clippers, cutting my hair, which took like an hour, cleaning it up sweeping up everything like that. So I'm literally spending 25 bucks to get a better quality cut. Plus I'm buying back like an hour and a half of my time. Really? The other one that I started doing a cost analysis on was groceries. Cause I cook a bunch. So I even went from buying, going out, buying all my own groceries, doing all my own meal prep for the week to now I, or if I'm ordering groceries, I still need to do, I order them online via Amazon, which is almost the same exact prices. If I go on the way, and then I started getting meal prep from one of my friends that helps me with nutrition stuff, which is even like another lever. So that was like taking me five, six hours a week between cooking and cleaning every night, including the meal prep. So that's a good example If I pretty much say added like six and a half hours back to my week just from personal stuff. I'm getting more proficient outcomes from it as far as like chef prepared meals and like a high quality haircut that I get every like three weeks or so, two, three weeks or so. And then business-wise, I mean, honestly, this changes every quarter. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I would make an argument that's a good thing. As far as just the projects that you're working on, what you need to be doing, things like that. It's so like the biggest one I've been putting on because we kind of purposely run stretching ourselves thin to kind of see how that goes and just staying lean as far as like recurring salary, stuff like that. But a lot of things was time blocking. So last year, beginning of this year, last year, I was big into time blocking and theming days where I would just block out the first three, four hours of a particular day and have it themed towards something. So one would be like podcasting. One would be high level relationships slash gift giving, where you just work on keeping those relationships, like having a strategic approach to relationships. One was customer success. So those just helped me kind of move the needles on different projects I was doing at that time. I'm just blocking out the time. And it's a little bit of a limiting belief at first. I would recommend the book, Gary Keller, the one thing that's pretty much where I got that, whole, that whole playbook from. And I've talked about that on some some podcasts. And some of that is like still mental exhaustion slash like pain where I know for the, nec- the next one that I'm going to be doing like at the end of this year to have in place for Q1 is more around the podcasting, like helping getting like a VA or some type of help around processing the podcast. Like that would free up a lot of time and allow me just to be like the surgeon analogy, like a surgeon isn't there answering calls in the office to schedule surgery or, you know, surgeries and stuff like that. The surgeon just shows up has a file for the person where somebody's already put all notes on him. He shows up, does the surgery, does another surgery, goes home, you know, rinse and repeat. He's not doing all that type of stuff. So it's kind of like what it's with the podcast where I'm growing towards, where I can just, you know, I still like to do my research. I like to analyze my own communication, things I can improve that I haven't been doing enough of just staying busy with other stuff. And I think it's something that you need to constantly challenge on. Nobody's perfect at it. If they are, you know, I may have some doubts or raise some questions there, but It's something that you're always optimizing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Man, I appreciate all that info. You're a good dude to be around. You're a high-level business owner. just appreciate you being on here. Grace me with your time, dude,
1: and all these stories. Yeah, man, I I appreciate that, and and you as well, man. All right, Paul, take it easy, man. Take care. Bye. All right, bye-bye.
0: Alright, that's a wrap, but before you go, let me add here that whether you're in the buy and hold strategy, wholesaling, flipping, mobile homes, land, or whatever it is, after I've ventured in a lot of these niches here while working a W2 job and building some cash flow streams, I've learned that focus and gaining some actual traction for a long-lasting business is the biggest problem for busy investors. So that's why I have for you daily email tips that can boost not just your lead generation, but your focus in your venture. So head on over to realestateaudios.com for those free gifts, a free newsletter, and the mentioned resources in these interviews. Thanks for listening and keep moving forward every day.